But I'd like to just do a two-part message um, from this passage today, Genesis 41. And from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the, the Bible, or pardon me, the end of the book of Genesis, it's occupied primarily talking about one person. You know who it is? Joseph. Who is it? Joseph. Joseph. Okay. You were in Sunday school and you remember some of this anyways. Okay. Okay, yeah. So we're going to look at a, an aspect of Joseph's life. Not, we're not going to try to preach his whole life, but an aspect of his life we want to focus on today and then next Sunday. And it's about the idea of having a Manasseh. Having a Manasseh. Okay? A Manasseh is not an illness. A Manasseh is not a dish to eat. The Manasseh is one of his sons, the name of one of his sons. And it means something. And so let's read this and then we'll see what this is about and how it relates to us. All right, so Genesis 41, and let's look at, we'll actually back up a little bit. Look at verse 46, and we'll read through verse 52. Genesis 41, verses 46 through 52. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And then the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. And the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering. For it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Notice again verse 51. <clears throat> he has two sons. First one is Asa. And it, it's making a statement. A lot of our American names are just a name. This is literally making a statement. What does it mean? It means forgetting. He explains it. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Now, we're going to see what that means. And he has another son, Ephraim, as we read. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So we're going to look at this today. You know, um, sometimes, and you probably have this happen, we're coming on the end of the year. And some of us are maybe doing some cleaning um, or decluttering. We try to do it throughout the year. But one of the things that happens to me, there's different areas in my life where I have to clean and declutter. 
uh, just about everywhere I touch, this needs to be decluttered, but everywhere I go. But one of the things is even the church van, because I use it quite a bit. And what happens is, after a while, my wife's like, where's Charity's shoes at? I don't know. I better look in the church van, you know. And things start building up in there. Uh, Where's my Bible or where's my extra Bible? I always keep my Bible with me. Where's my this or that? Where's my other glasses? You know, probably in the church van. And so sometimes I get stuff that builds up in there, you know, an extra blanket from something, from charity or some school book or um, some stuff from the church. Sometimes it's like a secondary truck here. I'll I'll put stuff in there. I might have wood or some baseboard that we're doing something with and have it in there or some tools that I took from the shed and put them in there. It's building up and I get busy. And, and so after a while, I'm like, man, I, I got to, this is what will happen. Usually I don't clean it out right away. Something makes me have to clean it out. Okay? Like my wife's like, sweetheart, I'm going to have to ride with you somewhere. Or my, I know that my wife needs to ride with me somewhere. Oh, no. <laughs> I need to go declutter this van, you know? And so I declutter the van. Or the brother Rusty's like, I'm going to take the teens, or when brother Adam was doing it, taking the teens on a youth activity. Okay, brother, I'll have that van ready by five o'clock on Friday night. And so Thursday, I'm like decluttering it and cleaning it out and and everything and just uh, unladen it from all the stuff and my extra charging cords and other charger cords and charger cords that are old from something that I don't use anymore and and, uh, extra tracks that were from Christmas of three years ago and, you know, and stuff like that. And I have to just clean out and declutter and things like that. And usually it's something that triggers, that makes me do it. Makes me do it. You know, that's what happens in life um, is that after a while you just build up things. Think about, now think about your life. Um, Sometimes in our life things start building up that we collect in our hearts and our emotions, and our minds, and it builds up, and it's like the, your, your inner person is like my, the church van, it just starts holding in, you're holding on to that, and you're holding on to that, and you're stashing that, and you're keeping that, and you're holding this, and, and it just starts building up, and usually it's grievances, and, and uh, 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 um, maybe a bitterness, or a worry, or something that's like, ah, oh, why didn't I ever take care of that, or self-guilt, or a grievance over somebody else that is, did something unfair, and things build up over the course of time in you. And sometimes it takes something to happen to you to get you to take care of that. All right? Joseph, in his life, accumulated weighty stuff beginning in his early years. And I don't mean like substance. He accumulated weighty things in his memory, weighty things relationally that were building up since age 17 to age 30, building up. And when his wife finally has this firstborn son, we're going to get into this, he named the son, not her. And he said, God made me forget all this stuff that was weighing me down. And we're going to look at that concept of having a Manasseh, just like I need to periodically clean out the church van, and you do your car too, I'm sure, or your garage, or that one drawer, periodically, i got to clean it out. Just, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that. So also, just um, Joseph had the Manasseh where he let a whole bunch of junk, 
We need to periodically have a Manasseh for our inner person. You got reason here. Not to be like, oh, Joseph's a pretty neat guy. No, Joseph's flesh and blood and a human like you and I. And it shows that once he had this Manasseh, this forgetting moment, then he had this fruitful future. Fruitfulness came after the unhealthy or the healthy type of forgetfulness. Once Joseph learned how to unload, he then learned how to appreciate being fruitful. What, let's talk about this, okay? So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about Joseph's life for a little bit. And then we're going to talk about what forgetting does and does not mean. A healthy forgetting, what a healthy forgetting does mean and what it doesn't mean, okay? And then we're going to look at how it played out in his life and we'll make this a two-part message. So let's think about the life of Joseph. Because we just saw a little snapshot of him being a dad and now he's a Hebrew Egyptian. He's kind of running the show of their economy and we have him see this son that's born and he's relieved and how he names them. But, but let's back up. What is this, that Manasseh name that has some significance to it? Joseph, was, it appears that we understand, was the, the youngest, sorry, pardon me, he was the 11th of 12 brothers and um, the only one younger would be Benjamin. And he had all these older brothers, and there was, they had different moms, but they were brothers. And so Joseph, it says in Genesis, let's just walk through his life, Genesis 37, it says that Joseph was, you know, he's just the, the favorite boy by Jacob, his dad. And Joseph can't control that. He couldn't control being a favorite, but he was kind of a favorite because, you know, Jacob was old and he was the son of his old age and Jacob was probably a little more easygoing maybe as a parent. That happens as parents. My wife, my, my older kids, they come and they come to the house and like, hey, we, you didn't let me do that, you know, with Noah or Grant. And the, how come you guys didn't let us do that? I'm like, well, you know, you tried it out on you guys first. So anyway, so Jacob's the older dad now and he's had all the boys. His 11th is Joseph and then he has Benjamin. Joseph, boy, I mean, he was a good guy, though, because, I mean, he behaved himself. You see that he's honest. You see that he's, um, um, he's blessed by God in this early chapter, or, or Genesis 37, it says that, you know, his dad sent him out to go look for a certain number of his brothers, not all of them, uh, the sons of the, the handmaids. And he goes and he finds them, and he goes back to his dad. He's like, you know, these guys are up to no good, dad. And he's the tattletale. He's not the tattletale that, like, relishes it but he has to bring back bad report about his older brothers that are just mischievous. And so they, they find, so these older brothers who are behaving badly hate the messenger. He's just telling the message back to dad. They hate him because he's telling on their mischievous things. And they're adult men, by the way. Some of them probably grandparents. And so Joseph has to tell his dad, you know, the, the, the other guys are up to such and such. And so they kind of hated him. They hated Joseph because of what? The, the, car, the garment, the coat of many colors. It showed favoritism. And then Joseph starts having dreams. And I'm not talking about dreams like, man, I was sick. I got the flu and I had this crazy dream. No, no. This is that God would use dreams in history. And sometimes I think he uses them now to reveal himself. Okay? 
And Joseph was having, Joseph had two dreams separately, and it showed, wait, this, isn't, this is no coincidence here. They're united. This isn't random. The first dream was basically, he tells his brothers, and he's a young kid. He just blabs. He doesn't know what else to do. Look, I had this dream. And the dream was, well, what happened in your dream? Well, we were all gathering sheaves, and my sheaf stood up in the field. All your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. I don't know what his attitude was when he told all his older brothers this, but he just told them the fact of his dream. And they're like, you think you're going to be our boss? Not hardly, buddy. Your little, brother's not, little bro's not going to be bossing us around. So they just were like, get out of here. Then he has another dream. And this is where it shows, okay, God's in this. He has another dream, where he, and he tells his parents, you know, I was the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars all did obeisance to me. By the way, sometimes I, I think that this is, I don't think this is some snarky thing. He's just like, eh, I think this was really, so people that had these type of dreams in the Bible, it was, it was like, I don't know how to describe this. It hit them hard. You're like, whoa, this was a, this was a, uh, how do I, I'm losing more. It was so serious and sobering. You're like, well, I had this dream. It wasn't like saying it was a little cartoon. It was like this was so real. And he tells his parents. He told his brothers about the sheaves bowing down. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to bow down to you. Then he tells his parents, and his dad's like, are we going to bow to you? His dad said that. But his dad observed the saying and thought, well, maybe there's something to this. So then Joseph is hated. So Hated by his brothers. He's, he's um, because he's favored and he has these dreams on top of it. So he's, so he's favored by dad. He's favored by, by God, even though I don't know that they connect that, but he is favored by God. And so they hate him. His own brothers hate him. And so, so one day the brothers were out somewhere and Joseph was told to find them and they weren't where they were supposed to be. They ended up being in another place. So he has to go over to another place to find them. And when he goes to find them, the brothers are like, oh, they, they, they're being sarcastic. They're like, here comes this dreamer. Here comes this guy that knows everything. Look at his coat. And they're, they're hateful in their speech toward him. They have scorning toward their own flesh and blood. And, and as he's coming, one of the older brothers wasn't there. Uh, no, pardon me, he was. But what, as he's coming, they said, let's just kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. By the way, don't, don't think lightly of having hate. Hate grows. Hate doesn't just stay. Hate has to grow. Their hate grew to a murderous intent. So now they're willing to murder their own brother. Like, hey, let's just kill him. Let's kill him. Here he comes. Here he comes. Hey, dreamer. You know? And they want to kill him and throw him in a pit. They're away from home. They're away from the familiar places. We can throw him in a pit. And then what we'll do is we'll just tell Dad, oh, some evil beast got him. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, brother died. They're willing, they hate. Now they're willing to murder, and they're willing to lie about it. Hate grows. So there, it, they, they have this plan. And then one of them's like, no, 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 the older brother. No, just trying to moderate the sin a little bit. Let's moderate our sin a little bit. Just throw him into a pit and just keep him there for a little bit. So they did. They throw him into a pit. And then apparently Reuben went away, and the other brothers were still there. And some Ishmaelites, he uses the interchangeable terms, Ishmaelites, Midianites, Ishmaelites, Midianites. 
they come along. They're, they're probably coming, they are coming south and going, going to go into Egypt. Okay? Uh, Ishmaelites have Egyptian blood in them. So they're going to go down, maybe see some things or buy some things, I don't know. And so the brother's like, hey, 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 let's just sell them. We won't make any money, just kill them. Why don't we just sell them to, the, to, the, to, the, to these Midianites here? And so they lift them out of the pit. They sell them to these Ishmaelite Midianites traveling down into Egypt. And then the other brother comes back and like, what did you guys do? He didn't want that. But it's too late. The other brothers sold Joseph into Egypt, sold him to these other foreigners who were going down into Egypt. And I want to stop right here. There's a, there's a phrase in... Um, there's a phrase there, when he was being sold and all this was happening, his, what, what, the Bible says in verse, chapter 42, verse 21, one of the brothers recounts, did we not see the anguish of his soul when he besought us, we would not hear? In other words, when these brothers were taking him back out of the pit and they're going to sell him, He's like, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, he may have already been crying that down in the pit. Like, all right, guys, that's funny. Ha ha, that's funny. Okay, stop. All right, now, wait, wait. They're taking me? Wait. And he's being sold. He's like, guys, what are you doing? It wasn't just like, even like how I'm saying it. You probably wouldn't want to hear how he sounded. The anguish of his soul. He's being betrayed, not by some foreigner or some... You know, enemy, it's his own brothers. They're selling him and they're getting money for him. And he's going off and he probably sees the look in their eye and maybe they're just like, we don't know. But he gets to see the last looks in their eye and on their faces he's being taken away as a prisoner. Or, yeah, as a prisoner, he's going to get sold again. So here's this guy and then he goes until he goes into Egypt and then he's sold there to Potiphar, who we said was, he'd be like the head of the secret service for Pharaoh, okay? Potiphar had a guard, and he was to kind of guard Pharaoh. Well, Potiphar was probably a wealthy man and of power, and, and he had his wife, and Joseph was in the house as a servant. Joseph did a good, such a good job, he was kind of over everything. So, okay, hated, mistreated, sold. Now this is not, a, this is not an easy life being bound as a prisoner, going into a foreign place. New sights, new smells, new language. He has to learn a new language now, if he didn't know it already. And now he's in part of the house. Seems to be, okay, all right, all right, this is, ugh. He, now he's a servant in the house. And you know the rest of the story. He does a good job. And then the woman of the house, who's probably good-looking, certainly powerful, certainly used to being a little bit over people, men, her servants, She's manipulating Joseph, trying to get him to be with her. She tries to seduce him several times, and he says, finally, no way. She grabs his coat, and he runs off. And she's embarrassed by him putting her, down, putting her off. So then she lies about him and screams and says, this Hebrew came in to mock me, and he tried to force me. And, and she goes to her husband, this Hebrew that you brought in the house, look what he did to me. He's lying about him, lying, lying, lying. And so he's lied about now. And now he's doing pretty good on his job, but now he's taken 
and unjustly accused and unfairly in prison. He's thrown in a prison. But he's thrown in a section of the prison, the Bible says, where the king's prisoners are. Apparently there was a, the general population and then there's an area where the king's prisoners were. He's put in that area perhaps to keep, I don't know, maybe they would know too much and spread something. But he was in that area. So he's put there, and he was there in the prison, and the Lord was with Joseph there. There's so many cool things about this. And while he was with Joseph there, Joseph was good. He was, he was being right wherever God put him. Even if he was put somewhere unfairly, he behaved himself right wisely. That's what we should be like, by the way. You're like, this isn't fair. I have this money, or I don't have this. Or I, have this. I know, I know. But wherever you're dumped at, and it wasn't your choice, just do the right thing where you are. That's what Joseph did, and God blessed that little area. And so he was made keeper of the prison. Next thing you know, he's running the show. The prisoner's running the prison. You know, actually he had a guy over him. And so Joseph did a good job managing the prison. And so the story goes, again, I want you need to see all this stuff up to the point he has a baby. There's... Two new prisoners that come in. Oh, they throw in the butler who worked for Pharaoh. They throw in the baker who was cooking for him, apparently. And so they were, the, the Pharaoh was ticked off at both of them, threw them in prison. And so they're there in prison. And, and lo and behold, these guys have a dream. The butler has a dream. The baker has a dream. And they're both really disturbed. Like, what is this dream? The next day, they're like, oh. And Joseph's like, do not dreams belong to God? Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them. And I'll tell you. So the butler told him his dream. I'm not going to get into the details. And Joseph interpreted the butler's dream. And the bottom line was the butler was going to get freed in a few days. And when he heard that, the baker heard that. He's like, well, let me tell you mine. Let me tell you mine. And the baker told him his dream and the significant things in it. And Joseph said, here's what your dream means. You're going to get out in three days and you're going to have your head cut off. You're going to die. Oh. So here's, in a sense, a prophecy from this guy. And lo and behold, three days later, the prison door is open. Mr. Butler, get on over here. Yay! Mr. Baker, come on up. Mr. Baker, get up. Mr. Baker. They had to take him out. And he was killed, and the other one was restored to his butlership. Okay? And lo and behold, what this man, this prisoner, this Hebrew, who was accused of some bad things that wasn't true, was right. But when, they, when Joseph did this for these guys, what did he say to them? Hey, guys, listen, this is what your dream means, I guarantee it. But when you get out, send a message to Pharaoh, not Potiphar. I, want to, I have a Supreme Court appeal. I'm appealing to the Supreme Court for my case. I was brought here, and I was unjustly accused also and put, being put here. Tell Pharaoh about me. Please don't forget me. Well, they went out. Well, one of them got killed. The butler forgot him. And then later on, the story goes, the butler's like, oh, yeah, I remember about this guy. And when Pharaoh has a dream, the butler's like, I know who can interpret it for you. And that's when they pull Joseph out of the prison, and he shows Pharaoh his ability to interpret dreams by God's grace. And Pharaoh's impressed. Pharaoh puts him basically in charge of the country, except for his pow the power that he wields. But let's recount something. Joseph had unjustified hate on him by his brothers. Joseph was misunderstood by his family, you know, to a degree. 
for these dreams. Joseph was un, uh, cruelly taken and bound and sold. Joseph was uh, falsely accused, right, by Pharaoh's, or pardon me, Potiphar's wife. And then Joseph was forgotten. And these things build up from 17 to 18. These things are building up. These grievances are building up in him. And so finally when he's restored and he's serving Pharaoh and Pharaoh's impressed with how that he knows about the future seven years and then the next seven years after that, Pharaoh's like, you don't put, you're in charge of the economy here. And as he's doing this, as he's now, and Pharaoh gives him a wife, the daughter of one of the regional priests, he marries, he has two boys, He's managing the best economy they've probably seen ever. Bountiful. There's grain and they're storing it. And they start, they just stopped counting. There's so much. And as he's managing all these things and he's got this new job and he realized God got me out of this stuff. And now it's good. His wife has a son and then another son. And when his wife has Manasseh, he says, God made me to forget all that stuff. That was hurting me the un, unfair treatment, the forget, being forgotten, the being misunderstood, the being falsely accused. God made me forget. And then he has another child. God's making me fruitful. You know, the Bible talks about, Paul talks about forgetting. Let's talk about forgetting for a little bit. Because I think it's showing us there's a, just a need to periodically just go, all right, unload. What does forgetting mean and what does it not mean? Forgetting does not mean, listen to this, to suppress a memory in an unhealthy way. To suppress a memory in an unhealthy way. Um, that is, to never acknowledge that a hurt ever happened and thereby never grieve over it. Remember we're again talking about Job? Job's grieving. Well, sometimes something happens to and there's, psycholo there's psycholo psychological terms they talk about this, memory suppression and all these other things. But sometimes hurtful things happen, and you need to like look at it, recognize it, and grieve over it and say, ouch. So forgetting doesn't mean you don't acknowledge that some pain happened. That's not what forgetting means. Forgetting doesn't mean that you never grieve over something. Grieving must happen. Jesus taught that in the, Blessed uh, are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Forgetting does not mean to deny a fact of history. Grieving, or forgetting doesn't mean I deny a fact in the history of my life. To lie to yourself about the past. Even Joseph, watch, let's watch Joseph now. Joseph had all these things happen and he says, God made me forget. But when he has his brothers come and visit, what does he do? He remembers. But he's remembering the way, if you follow how he handles them, he is not a meanie. He seems mean, but he's actually not. He manages them wisely in how he talks to them and gets them to go back and brings them, has them come back again and sets them up. He, gets, he, he is dealing with them to get them to be sorrowful and to get them to be honest back towards their dad. And it, he sets the whole thing up to reconcile with his brothers. So what I'm saying is Joseph did forget but it doesn't mean he didn't not know or remember that he was mistreated by them. He just, here's what forgetting means then. Forgetting does not mean to suppress a memory in an unhealthy way. What does forgetting mean? It means you know it's there in the rear view, but it's in the rear view mirror now. 
It no longer is the government of your thinking. Some people, everything in their thought, everything is governed by their past grievances. Every line of thinking, the way they think and see things, it's all governed by past grievances. Forgetting means you're not governed. I'm not going to, my, my thoughts are not going to be governed by past grievances. It means things are in the rearview mirror. Sometimes we've had, um, so we'll take, we have a trailer, church trailer, church van. Sometimes we get a whole bunch of junk, um, you know, leaves and just junky. In fact, when we've done some remodel, especially in here, we had a dumpster we filled. And then later on, I had extra stuff I put in the church trailer and I had to take a uh, trip to the landfill. There's actually an in-town one. I forgot what it's called, but uh, Weinberger or something over there on Cooper. And so I've gone there. It's really close. And so the trailer would be full and I'd go in there and I'd on the, I'd pull up to the thing and they'd weigh me and everything. What do you got back there? Uh, just some extra junk from construction. Okay. And so they'll charge. Actually, they charge me after I go out because they have to weigh me, then weigh me again. And so I love going over there, pull back up into the landfill area, and we just unload all that junk, you know, and the, the wood and the old drywall and, and just some leaves and some other things that shouldn't that should, we should have hung on to too long anyways. And just unload all that junk. And then I'm like, I feel so good. Can I do that? Lock up the trailer, get in there. And I like pulling out and looking in that rearview mirror. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. I feel light. Even though I'm not doing the work the van is, you know, I still feel light just driving away, looking in that rearview mirror. That's an empty trailer right there, baby. Yeah. And then I go up, and it's really a blessing when I go back up to get weighed. And they're like, ah, just keep going. You're fine. One time they didn't charge me. I was like, cool. I don't know why, but, but uh, they just, I think they're real busy, but. It's nice driving off and being like, I'm unloaded. It's, I, I know it was back there, but it's back there. And some of us, we have faults that we've committed, sins that we've committed, or sins somebody's committed on us, and we need to acknowledge them, agree with them, and try to rectify them to a certain degree. But after a while, it's like, I can't let this govern my thinking the rest of my life. I have to just unload it. I know it's back there, but i got to unload it and be freed of it. And that's the concept with Joseph. It was in the rearview mirror now, forgetting. So let's look at this. Um, we're going to just look at two points here for the rest of our time. Joseph experienced a special unloading, forgetting and letting go, and then he went on to be fruitful. Let me give you five descriptions of it. We'll just look at two. Five descriptions of forgetting. This is a healthy forgetting. Five descriptions of Joseph's forget, uh, forgetting, and uh, I'll just look at two. For, number one, his forgetting was an act of grace on God's part. Number two, this forgetting was his, also his decision to make. Number three, this forgetting was very deep. We'll look at that next time. Number four, Joseph's forgetting was one less weight he had to carry into his future because he had a lot of stuff in his future. And he didn't need to carry that forward. Number five, this moment of forgetting in Joseph's life preceded an opportunity to reconcile with his family. And that was a key thing. So let's just consider these two things. As you, we read Genesis 41, we read verses, particularly verse 51, God gave him his firstborn. He called him Manasseh. What is significant about this? Number one, look what it says. God hath made me to forget. Look at verse 51. 
God hath made me to forget all my toil in all my father's house. Joseph had toiled. The word toil there is, it has the idea of a grievous task. It's not just like my vocational work. It means the hard work, the unfair tasks. God made me forget that stuff. He had to be a slave. He had to be a servant. He had to be a prisoner. That's toil. They make prisoners work. He says, God made me. God made me forget. In my father's house, my father, think about this. There was a bittersweet thing. He was let, he had to be taking, he sold and taken away from his family. His brothers who are hating on him, but there's a bunch of other family that he probably loved still, that loved him, right? Maybe nieces and nephews and his mom and dad. And, and, he, and he misses them. And he, that was hard on him. And so what is he saying? This whole forgetting is, you know what? God had to do this. God made me forget. Number one, this is an act of grace on God's part. So many of our issues, it's like, I need God to touch me. I need God to help me forgive. I need God to help me let go. I need God to help me um, accept something that's not changing. I need God to make me. That's what he says. God hath made me to forget all this stuff. The Apostle Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's look at a quick psalm and then we'll go to our last point. Go to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And um, let's do 10 and 11, Psalm 30, verse 10 and 11. Psalm 30, verse 10 and 11, it says, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Notice the terminology. God's doing something. I don't know what the problem was with this psalmist, David. He had mourning. He had sackcloth. He had sadness. God, you turn for me my mourning into dancing, leaping. That's a good thing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth. You walked around with the sackcloth mourning all the time. And girded me with gladness. It's something God does to us. Something We just need God to do things for us that we, we can't do for ourselves. And Joseph perhaps struggled. I don't know how to forget this. I don't know how to forget the hateful brothers. That makes no sense. I don't know how to forget them selling me. I don't know how to forget that false accusation of that my boss's wife. I don't know how to forget the fact that I was forgotten. In prison. But somehow God did a work of grace. Maybe when he started seeing a little, when he was taken out of the prison and set in Pharaoh's court. I don't know. But at some point, once he had that son, he says, God, God did a work in me to help me just let go of that junk. So number one, it's an act of grace on God's part. But at the same time, number two, the forgetting was his decision still to make. Look what it says. Look what it says in, in, in Genesis 42. Uh, part, 41, 
it said, um, well, look at verse 50. Who's Joseph's wife? First of all, who's the mama here giving birth? Genesis 41, 50. Who's the mama? Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So she's no Hebrew that speaks Hebrew, as far as we know. She's uh, an Egyptian. And, but who names the baby? Joseph. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh or Manasseh. He called him that. My wife and I, we've had, of course, nine children. And we usually find on what are we going to name this one, you know? Um, my wife would tell my kids, as a side note, um, we, sometimes my wife would come in the house and be like, hey, who, um, let's see, let's think of a problem. What's a problem in the house? Not putting a trash in a bag. I'll break in some. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Was there, was there a vase in the bathroom that you think's broke? Okay, so here's an example. My wife would say something like this. So there used to be this little vase in the bathroom, and it held some fake flowers, but the vase is somehow missing. And so my wife would say something like this, and maybe this, maybe it'll happen again. Uh, hey, who took the vase out of the bathroom? And they're like, nah, I didn't do it. Not me, not me, not me, not me. Who took, somebody did it. Who did? We don't have a cat. We don't have a dog. Who took it? Charity, we don't think she did it. Um, and so finally my wife would say, there's nobody in my family named not me. You know, I'll say, that's a good one. That's true. So we can't find a not me. So, um, but Deb and I named the kids, you know, and so we'd confide on what name to give and everything. And, and usually we kind of go back and forth. And, but she totally herself named Charity. She found out she was pregnant with her, and then as we're going into the last month, she wanted to name her Charity, and she gave her the middle name, too. I, I didn't have any say in it. I mean, I did. I liked it, but I didn't say, hmm, I think. I didn't even have any input. Charity, Shalom. Shalom is Hebrew for peace. We get little moments of that. It's supposed to grow here. She needs to fulfill this prophecy, okay? So, um, so she named her Charity Shalom. Deb named it, and I'm like, that's beautiful. I love it. Beautiful name. And so I didn't have, I was like, all right. But here Joseph is like, no, I'm naming this one. Because his wife, so the point of me saying that is he is saying, I'm, I'm forgetting. And God made, he's admitting this. It's not like his wife is speaking onto this. It's his decision to make. So many of, so many of our issues are, I have to decide to forget. I have to decide, decide to forgive. I have to decide this. I can't control what everybody else decides. I have to decide this. And so the forgetting was his decision to make. We're going to close and we'll pick this up next week. The value of just, all right, I'm going to unladen that. Do you have a Manasseh? Do you have a Manasseh that you need to have? Do you need to have a Manasseh? That's the proper way to ask it. When we had our little charity, we, we really, I mean, we really love, we love all our kids, and they all know that, but everybody's like, man, we're glad we have little charity. You know, she keeps us busy and all that. But um, when Deb was pregnant, there was difficulty in, in some of the pregnancy and then the birth, and, and then the, after charity being born, having Down syndrome, I'm t to be honest, when I saw her born, I was like, man, this is a scrawny-looking little kid. 
because I've seen eight other children born. I'm like, look at that. Mm, look at that right there. Little good color there. Strong, moving back, already ready to fight somebody. You know, you can kind of see it in them. And I mean, um, some of them, when they came out of the room, they're like, yeah, I know I look good. They kind of had that. We teased one of the boys about that. Like, I know I look good. He had that, I know I look good look on his face. Susie had the, I'm untangling from the umbilical cord thing. And, and so they all, you kind of see. But when Charity was born, it was like, they brought the baby out and put her right on Deborah's bosom right there. And I was standing behind Deborah, and Deborah's like, oh, like that right away. And I'm like, that's a scrawny-looking little thing. She didn't even have good color. They put her, put her under the heat lamp there, McDonald's heat lamp. Let's warm up these fries, you know. And so, no, they put her, they put her under the thing, and then they ended up, we ended up having to go to another room. And, they, you know, we had, they, she needed a treatment right away and ended up being in ICU for, like, 24 days. And, and we're, Deb and I were like, oh, we weren't planning this. We weren't planning a ninth, not, certainly not planning Down syndrome child. And so there was a blessing having the love and care of the church. And but she went through the the whole weeks, three weeks or so there at uh, Dignity Health and in Gilbert and brought her home and and we're like, how do we raise a Down syndrome kid? We would come to we'd go to like a doctor's office or something and they'd be like, oh you guys have nine kids? Oh you know it's you guys got them no, no, just, we don't know anything because this is a different creature. Teach us like we know nothing. You know, so we'd get some advice like, hey, we're brand new. And that's how we had listened to them. And so we didn't, <laughs> and so we're learning, we're still learning her. Um, the, one of the construction workers out here that's working on the railroad, the other day I caught him, his license plate said T21 dad. T21 is a phrase for Down syndrome, trisomy 21, the tripling of the 21st chromosome. And I said, hey, man. I know what that is. He's like, yeah, I got a Down syndrome son. This dude was big, man. Big old muscles, retired cop and stuff. He's like, yeah, we got to watch our son. He says, sometimes in the middle, I've woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I smell food. I smell something burning. He goes, I, he would just randomly get out of bed and go downstairs and start cooking. So now we have to contain him when he sleeps. And so there's just a tricky thing about this. But here's what we're saying is it's different. And she's different. But we realized we kind of needed her. Because I got sometimes a group of grumps in my house, and she'll come like, she'll come all happy, and everybody's like, aw, aw, give me a hug. And I'd be like, why didn't you give me a hug? Nah. You know, and we love charity. And so, like, that is, we needed that. We needed this little rascal, you know. And so, we, God knew we needed a charity to have a charity. And so, for us, you can't have a charity, okay, unless God does something otherwise. But you can have a Manasseh and say, God, there's some things. That, maybe it's just even in your year, this one year. Like you got, We're ending this year. You need to have a Manasseh probably about some stuff this year. Why don't you do that? Why keep carrying more weights forward? Say, God, help me to have a Manasseh of my own. Let's, and, and let's pray and give thanks. Lord, thank you so much for you being our God and Savior. Thank you that, Lord Jesus, you enabled us to have our sins forgotten by your death on the cross, being the great Joseph for us, unjustly treated and yet sacrificing yourself for our sins. Thank you that you enabled us through the work of the cross to have our sins forgotten. Well, Lord, help us to, even maybe daily, some of us, ah, let's have a Manasseh about that. Maybe there's things that my brothers and sisters need to apply this to in their life. Help them to do that and help us to move forward into a new year 
a little lighter, and uh, finding things more fruitful. Thank you for your truth. We love you, Lord. Bless our prayer time. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe this is your chance to respond to the Lord and respond to him in a prayer or a confession or whatever. This is, you know what this is. It's a chance to respond and not just forget about the message as our pianist plays.